Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I retired as a sergeant out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And with me today, oh my God, we have the old reliables uh, in the top window. We have straight out of Brooklyn, retired detective Phil Grimaldi. How you doing, Phil? Pretty good, Billy. Uh, excited to get uh, into this episode. I'm glad Joe's with us. He's probably going to have a lot of tremendous input on the stuff we're going to discuss today about both of these cases. There you that's go. Right. That, that, that's you right. Go. We, we brought Joe in today because we understood last night in Duty Run's um, episode, there was a little violence in the chat. <laughs> luckily, luckily, people can't get violent. They can only get violent with their voice. About yeah. as violent as they can get is writing in capitals, I guess, right? But uh, <laughs> so we brought uh, so on the bottom window we have retired NYPD police officer and current defense attorney Joe Murray. Welcome to the show, Joe. Oh, thanks, Bill. Glad to be here and looking forward to a little sparring, uh, Philly. <laughs> All right. It's so it's always good to get the juices flowing and you know get the get the chat all stirred up a little bit because they. They like that. You know, they like that. We like it too, as long as it uh, remains respectful. Folks, if you're is your first time, if this is your first time tuning in, tuning in to Police Off the Cuff, please go on our YouTube, subscribe, hit that button, give us a thumbs up. Uh, we're building our audience and uh, we fell so far behind duty, Ron, once he had that 1.6 million episode and picked up 50,000 subscribers. I feel like I'm I'm the uh, I'm the turtle and he's the rabbit, you know, and he, he's way he's sprinting ahead and I'm just methodically plodding along. But Phil said before, um, slow and steady wins the race. So not that this is a race, but we're trying to go slow and steady. And with your support, what we're doing is we're doing pretty well. Uh, you know, we were talking about earlier, of course, the Murdoch case. I'm going to bring that up, but we also want to mention. Summer Wells, it's sort of been put on the back burner. We're not forgetting about Summer Wells. Uh, I know that Equus Search has been back there. They search with drones. And there's no one is forgetting about Summer. Uh, there hasn't been any really new developments that we can report on. But believe me, none of us are forgetting about her. Phil, you want to comment on that? Yes. Uh, we're going to be monitoring any uh, new developments that do occur. I mean, with the onset of the colder weather, maybe there's a chance that uh, – People might, you know, uh, come across, I, I hate to even think of it or say it, the remains. Uh, so we'll keep our fingers crossed with that. I know law enforcement is still plugged into it. Uh, obviously, as you said, uh, Dave Raider and Equisearch, they're doing their thing. And we'll keep our fingers crossed and hope and pray that uh, Little Sum is found, hopefully safe and sound. That would be fantastic. But uh, either way, I, I know that the uh, the case is moving forward. I know the investigation is moving forward. So uh, we'll we'll be doing something on it real soon, I'm sure. Uh, whether there are anything new new to uh, you know to report or not, we'll go through it and uh, just keep it fresh in everybody's mind. And uh, prayers for little summer to be found. One hundred percent. We're all. Can I uh, ask you guys? Uh, I had heard, and I'm, that's why I want to verify it. Um, that somebody had put up another fifty thousand to increase the uh, reward money, which that's great. You know, it just Absolutely. shakes the tree. See what comes out you know, of it. So, right, that that shakes the tree when someone puts up money like that. You never know. Mm -hmm. Someone that would keep their mouth shut otherwise may open it for $50,000, and that's definitely can uh, help, help mm -hmm. things. You know, someone, one of our English friends asked me, what does it mean to be a Monday morning quarterback? And we use that expression all the time, and we just wow. take for granted that everyone knows what it means. And Thank you for asking that question because we shouldn't take for granted that 
our friends from across the pound knows what that means. A Monday morning quarterback is someone that critiques a football game after it's over by saying, I would have did this, I would have did that, I would have did this. So that's where the expression comes from, a Monday morning quarterback. I was in the game you played on Sunday. Well, yes, Monday right, morning, right, right. You're an expert on Monday morning because you know what happened. Right. Right. So you could sit there and critique, uh, you know, great minds in the sport of football that may not agree with your game plan, but it, the game's over and you could say, woulda, shoulda, coulda, like we all say, you know. So we're, we're just going to touch upon the Murdoch case uh, just in the beginning of the show. And there, I'm going to play a short. Um, a, sh a short a, a short video, and it has to do with um, Gloria Satterfield, who was the housekeeper to the Murdochs. And um, we're going to show uh, what their, the attorney, her attorney, has to say about this case. And it, it, every, every step of this case is just like an incredible, uh, something else incredible occurs. So let me put this up on the screen. Sons of Gloria Satterfield, that housekeeper, well, they moved to sue Alex Murdoch, who just had quite a week, as you probably know, supposedly at Murdoch's behest. Weirdly, think about that. They sued him because he asked them to. And then he asked them to use a lawyer that he would supply for them. Oh, that's awfully nice. Quote, Alex Murdoch told those kids, Tony and Brian, told their uncle and aunt, that he was going to take care of the boys because he was going to sue myself for the death of Gloria Satterfield. That's from a lawsuit that was filed this week by the family's brand new lawyer who points out that the old lawyer, unbeknownst to Tony and Brian, he was a former college roommate of Alex Murdoch and Alex Murdoch's best friend and the godfather of Alex Murdoch's son, Paul Murdoch. That's just nuts. The lawyer's name is Corey Fleming. And there's also a name for that kind of arrangement that I just described. A lot of people call it conflict of interest. But since that's a legal term, I'm going to say allegedly. But if it's true, it's really big. For Gloria Satterfield's family, it was also very expensive. Because a few months later, Alex Murdoch's insurance companies agreed to pay, pay out. Yep, we got you covered. We're going to pay for that trip and fall, Gloria Satterfield. We're going to pay at least a half million dollars. But as it turns out, it seems it may have been much more. And when I say much more, like a hell of a lot more, like $4 million. And the family, well, that should have been great. That should have helped those boys, right? Now that they don't have their mom, they haven't seen a penny. So tonight, with the ink barely dry on their lawsuit, the family's brand new lawyer, Eric Bland, is asking the South Carolina bar to sanction that old lawyer, Alex Murdoch's BFF, Corey Fleming. And it just so happens that Eric Bland is live with me now from Columbia. Welcome back to the program, Eric. Did I get anything wrong in that characterization of how the last three years went? Barry, you're spot on. The only thing is I'm not asking the bar to sanction him. I just merely um, perform my duty to inform the bar as a lawyer of our state when I know that somebody else has possibly violated the rules of professional conduct, I'm duty bound to inform the bar and then the bar does their own investigation. So I supplied them with a copy of the complaint and presumably they will start an investigation. 
So what does that mean for Corey Fleming? Because, you know, the layperson in me says that's just icky. Maybe he should lose his license. But is there something more sinister? Is there something criminal to that? I'm not going to venture into the criminal, but there is uh, something that could jeopardize his license if the bar was to find that he had misappropriated money or assisted others in misappropriating money from clients or secreting material information from the clients in order to enrich others instead of his duty of fidelity to the clients. Uh, he could have his license impacted either through suspension or ultimately he could lose his license. You know, two things we were told in law school, never lie to your client, never steal money from your client. If you do, you're going to lose your ticket. But we uh, out here outside law school, we're told you're going to go to jail if you steal money from people. So that's why I asked. This sounds like he could be exposed also to the to the criminal procedures. You know, like Al Capone went to jail for income tax evasion. He didn't go to jail for, you know, all the killings that he did. I believe that this case is at the epicenter of what's going to happen ultimately in Hampton County to the Murdochs and a lot of different people because of the amount of money that has not been accounted for and misappropriated. Um, I think that ultimately people are going to lose their law licenses. I think there's going to be a real microscope into the judicial system and how this took place, where approvals were given for these type of settlements without them being on court record, without there being a court order approving these settlements. I think it's going to be a top to bottom look and I really do think that at the end of the day, um, there's going to be a cleanup that happens because this is a really an indictment on the South Carolina justice system. We don't like the way we're looking to the rest of the world and the nation. It's not who we are. And I really do believe that our chief justice and a lot of the people in the justice system are going to be looking at this. And it's this particular case that is going to cause a lot of people to have to take pause. You know, when you're. Wow. That's all I can say there is wow. Is that unbelievable, Joe? Joe has no sound. Joe, your sound is off. All right, I got it. I'm sorry about that. Oh, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> you know, when you look at the underlying. You, you, had your you had your chance to shine, and then the attorney comes <laughs> on and he's, he's muted. <laughs> Listen. No, but honestly, Bill, looking at that underlying case with all the bodies and all the stuff that was been going on, you would think. You know, that's their biggest problem. And then this surfaces, you know, you're talking about a huge amount of money, client funds. He's absolutely right. Lawyers have a duty of loyalty to their client, which includes not stealing from them. You have to be loyal to them and truthful to them. So uh, law licenses are going to be pulled. Tickets are going to be punched. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of criminal stuff going on. This is incredible. And he's absolutely right. This is putting egg on the face of the, the South Carolina bar and, you know, the, the solicitors. I mean, this is this is bad all around. Joe, I, I, want, I want to ask you a question that many, sure. probably many in the chat and many all around the world are thinking. Who polices attorneys? And Because the Bar Association is basically an ethical organization, but they don't go around with inspectors, right? Isn't it dependent upon other attorneys or judges to report an attorney who may be rogue? It's it's dependent on, upon the people who always accuse cops of not of of maintaining the blue wall of silence. Lawyers and judges constantly 
throw that in the face of law enforcement. But yes, we're supposed to police ourselves like this lawyer is doing. It became apparent to him what happened. He reported it to the bar and the bar is supposed to now investigate it. There's a character in fitness. There's the grievance committee. There's all these committees that work on this. And believe me, when you get contacted by them, it's, you know, you got to deal with this uh, because they can hurt you. And like he said, pull your license. So, but yeah, it is kind of self-policed unless people make complaints. Of course, like anything else, if people make complaints, they investigate that as well. So there's not, there's not proactive policing that goes on there. It's either self-reporting or complaints that come in. Well, Joe, you remember from being a police officer, on the walls of every precinct, it it says corruption drive, must right? must be reported to Internal Affairs, yeah. and it would have the number on it. It didn't say, you know, you can. It said yeah. corruption must. So in so essence, essence, cops are required to report each other. Yeah, absolutely. We are too, as lawyers. We're required. You can't. It's not a choice. If you, it, aware, it also said. It also said above every cell in the squad. Only the guilty can sleep. And uh, that worked pretty well because 99% of the guys that went in that cell went right to sleep. Went right to sleep. Guys, I just yeah. want to play another quick video. And this is just showing how Miss um, Murdoch, the one who was murdered, Maggie Murdoch, was seeing an attorney a few weeks before the, the, the no, murder. No, let me occurred. make a point before you play oh. it. I, I want to make a point based on what Joe was saying and what that reporter said. Um, she was tiptoeing through it. Uh, she was, you know, saying, oh, lo and behold, it was his uh, uh, law school partner. And but lo and behold, it was his best friend. That's a dirty, rotten, scumbag move what this guy did. He took the family's confidence, said, don't worry, I'm going to take care of everything. I'm going to sue myself. He brought his buddy in to represent them. And then they didn't get 10 cents. That's a disgusting there's no morals there. There's no ethics at all. Whether or not he faces criminal charges is, I think, irrelevant at this point. He crossed moral lines. He crossed ethical lines. And that family needs to be uh, compensated for the loss of their mother. And I think that the case being investigated by the uh, uh, by SLED, by the State Law Enforcement Division in, in South Carolina, let's see what that yields as far as criminal charges on top of what's going to happen with this civil case. 100%. Let me hit let me hit you with this uh, video right now. A possible divorce. According to People magazine, just 6 weeks before Maggie Murdoch and her son Paul were murdered at their family's hunting lodge in South Carolina this past June, Maggie met with a divorce attorney in Charleston to explore her options about ending her marriage to Alex Murdoch. Alex, who called 911 after finding the bodies of his wife and youngest son, is accused of allegedly trying to stage his own murder earlier this month. Police say his goal was to get his other son a $10 million life insurance payout. The source tells People that before her death, Maggie began looking into the family finances to determine the state of the couple's marital assets. According to People, the source says Alex's co-workers noticed a cooling in the couple's relationship, with Maggie no longer coming by the office to have lunch with her husband. It's unclear whether a possible divorce had anything to do with her death. Authorities have not identified a motive or a suspect in the killings of Maggie and Paul. And Alex Murdaugh has been charged with conspiracy to commit insurance fraud and filing a false police report. He is also being investigated for allegedly misappropriating millions of dollars from his law firm. And he's also now the subject of an investigation surrounding the death of his family housekeeper. 
Unbelievable. I, I just want to say to all the audience, a good sign that your wife may be asking you for divorces that she will no longer have lunch with you. <laughs> Listen, the, the, the whole thing, the fact that she hired a forensic accountant, she started looking into the finances, then she's looking to divorce him. I think that screams motive for Alec Murdoch, screams it because if he if she winds up has a forensic accountant look into their finances, that may uncover the the, the stealing and, and the misappropriation of funds with the firm, as well as the divorce. Because when you're going to go through a divorce with wealthy people, they're going to look, for, they're going to ask for uh, tax returns, any assets. They're going to dig deep, especially an attorney that's partnering a firm. So that is screaming, screaming motive to me. And I think Bill and I both shared this opinion early on because it just sounded like there was too much going on. And one of the questions that I have for Joe, since he's here today, Joe, with this new information being revealed that she had a consultation with attorney regarding ending her marriage, would it be a obligation or would it be a conflict if the police interviewed him that lawyer that she spoke with about what was going on between her and her husband relating to the murder case, would it be a conflict of interest for the lawyer to talk about it because of attorney client privilege now that she's dead? Yeah, I think the privilege survives death. I don't think you can reveal. I'm not positive. I never had a client die. Really? Um, but yeah, I think the privilege survives death. Um, you can't. So you if can't they reveal. went to this attorney, he may not be able to tell her what intimate details she related to the attorney about wanting to end her marriage. He he really couldn't talk about it then, more than likely. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not positive on that, but okay. I do believe it survives death. It's you know, you got to take that to your grave. You can't reveal things. But I'll check that out for you just to be sure. Okay. Something just popped into my head thinking about this after, you know, discussing it. That's an interesting point because he'd be the first guy that you'd want to talk to if you believe, you know, she's the victim. She, You can't talk to her. So you talk to the people around her. Who better? Yeah. Because that's the motive. She's going to divorce him and out him and forensically uh, destroy him. Sure. Uh, yeah, let's get rid of her. And so I would love to talk to him, like to investigate the case. Yeah. But I don't think that's, uh, but I'll find out for sure. I just want to play one more quick video in regards to the Murdoch case. Then we're going to move on to Gabby Petito. Uh, this is the, uh, his cousin who shot him and didn't do a very good job. I consider him one of my best friends. He's like a brother to me. That so-called brother is Alec Murdoch. South Carolina authorities say he asked Curtis Smith to shoot and kill him September 4th. The plan, according to SLED, to help Murdoch's surviving son Buster collect a $10 million life insurance policy. <laughs> but it didn't work. Instead, Murdoch told SLED what happened, so they arrested both of them. But where's the connection between the two? Through court records, we found out Murdoch represented Smith in a personal injury lawsuit back in 2010. Had to have three discs removed out of the back and got rods and screws in every place of them. It's not fun. Smith says injuries from a logging accident left him permanently disabled. Talk to you about the pain. Oh, uh, it's, it's an everyday thing. I mean, it's every day. 
and I was there all day long. Court documents indicate Smith took OxyContin for that pain, but fast forward to this month. Authorities charged Smith with distribution of meth and possession of marijuana, a drug parallel to what unfolded during Murdoch's bond hearing. If anyone uh, wants to see the face of what opioid addiction does, you're looking at it. In the days after the shooting, Murdoch said he checked himself into rehab for substance abuse. Is Alex somebody that you cared about? Yeah, I say like a brother did me. Had I done anything in the world for him? Almost anyway. It just is just crushing to know that it didn't got me nothing, nobody, especially him. Curtis says he feels betrayed. Unbelievable, right? He yeah, hires his so. cousin to shoot him, but the the constant is this ten million dollar life insurance policy. So he hires him to shoot him, but he also how how do we know that he didn't hire someone to shoot his wife and his son Paul for the ten you know, million dollars? That's so strange that case because they were shot with two different guns. One a shot, Absolutely. one uh, like a rifle or something. Uh, that's weird. And then at different times, but the reporter was saying there was no apparent motive. But I thought Anthony was, you know, because of Mallory upset with Paul and he had a motive. For sure, for sure. But yeah. when you look at that guy, did you see when he was he was being walked through to I guess it was when he was in custody and he, he made some kind of noise. Like he sounded like a real crankhead. He looks like a meth head. And He's saying, oh, he was like a brother to me. Brothers like that, you don't need enemies, boy. I'll tell you yeah. that. And yeah. I, 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 I do anything, including shoot him in the head for yeah, insurance. Come on. This is ridiculous. I don't believe the story that he hired him. I don't believe it at all because if he wanted him dead, I mean, he fired a shot, only one shot. It, it grazes him. And then you know, don't shoot no more. We're, you know, that whole thing with the fake fat flat tire, the whole thing is nonsense. It's baloney. I'd love to drill down on the two of them and get the real story. And with regard to uh, that Joe just brought up, you know, the boating accident with Mallory, obviously that would be the first place you'd want to look, but I don't know this whole thing stinks. And uh, to me, I don't know. Alec is looking better and better as being involved in that double homicide to me. I, I, with these latest developments, it's really looking that way. You know, $10 million lawsuits. And then he knows he's going to get caught up in it. And then he stages this fake shooting. I I don't believe one word of what that guy just said. And I don't believe one word of what Alec said. I think they're both lying. And I'd love to get him in the box. Yeah. I agree with you, Philly. Look at that. You know, it's incredible, though. Can I just ask, because I wasn't really up on this dynamics of the family. He left that $10 million policy for Buster. Is he the only sibling alive? Is that is that all it was? Yeah, he's yes. the only surviving member other than the father at this point. Right. Yeah. Of the immediate family. Of the immediate family. And so, I believe there were uh, – uh, Bill, didn't you tell me earlier that there were policies on the wife and the son as well? Yes. Were killed? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know – Maybe he thought he was going to buy his way out of this. I think the real motive is the incident of the theft from the firm. You know, it might have been a current over many years. He might have sort of walls caving in with this 
Satterfield, uh, Gloria Satterfield, that might have been the beginning of the end. Maybe that attorney on that, there was questions starting to be uh, poking around in that. And that might have been the motive to start the whole thing with, you know, killing the mother and the son. And and then when the son got in his trouble, uh, you know, the, the whole thing is just a big, big of shit as we say in law yeah. enforcement. It really is. Yeah. You know, folks, we're going to... Uh segue into the Gabby Petito case. And what's causing a lot of angst among everyone is, of course, the domestic violence thing that some people are accusing the Moab police of uh, of botching it. I'm going to play the, uh, the uh, a video of another angle that has been uh, that has been played on a few other content creators. And I'm just going to show you this. And then we'll make we'll make our comments afterwards. Did you get hit in the face? Newly released police body cam video shows more of the moments from an August incident in Utah between Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie. We want to know the truth if he actually hit you. Because you know, I guess, yeah, but I hit him first. Where did he hit you? Don't, don't worry, just be well, honest. He, like, grabbed my face. Like, slap your face or what? Well, like he like, grabbed me like with his nail, and I guess that's why it looks. The video, taken more than five weeks before Petito was discovered dead near a campground in Bridger Teton National Forest. Moab City Police pulled over the couple's van on August the 12th, separating Petito and Laundry after they said a witness reported seeing a man hit a woman in the face. She gets really worked up, and when she does, she swings and she had her cell phone in her hand, so I was just trying to get her away. Well, to be honest, I definitely hit him first. Where'd you hit him? I slapped him. You, you slapped him first? And then what, just on his face? He gets kind of just shut up. Police previously released shorter videos of the incident, but the newly expanded version also includes conversation between officers on the scene. In no way, shape, or form that I can perceive does what happened here, a little slap fight between fiancés who love each other and want to be together, can I perceive that this is going to digress into the situation where he's going to be a battered man? Right. But then again, I don't have a crystal ball. According to the police report, the responding officer initially described the altercation as a mental emotional health break, not a domestic assault. Earlier this month, the city of Moab, Utah, announced it's launching an independent investigation into the way officers handled that incident. In Florida, FBI agents combed the laundry family home again Thursday, departing with this bag. You know, it's there's been a lot of conversation about how the Moab police handled that. And initially, when we saw it early on in the investigation, I believe it was on August 12th, we had sort of praised the Moab police on what a professional job they did. However, at the time that we uh, we watched it, we weren't privy to the 911 call that said, uh, the witness said that they saw the male slap the female. So... That would have been in in a New York City type thing if I would respond to the scene and I was the boss. It would be a cross-complaint thing. And I probably would have locked them both up. You know, uh, had I known about the 911 caller that said he witnessed the mail. And then there would have been, of course, further interviews. But it's it's sort of – that's how you police sort of have to protect themselves. By in, in this incident, I still think they did a pretty good job, although – how could they possibly predict that uh, in what uh, uh, the 27th, she would be murdered? How could they possibly predict that? 
Comments, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I reviewed it myself as well. And again, this is part of my philosophy. It's not the law. The law is most arrests. My philosophy is an arrest should be a last resort. And I think these officers did a great job. They were very reasonable in their efforts. If you go through that video, I was uh, uh, watching Duty Ron and, and he had it on late last night. And the steps that they took, interviewing them, they both denied it initially. And then they confronted them after interviewing the witness who said, yeah, I saw them, uh, you know, hitting each other. And uh, he confronted them and says, well, we have a witness that we talked to who says he was hitting him. And then she says, oh, yes, but I hit him first. And then he similarly, I think he actually went to Brian first. And Brian kind of tapped dance. Well, you know, I was just trying to, you know, we were having a fight and an argument. And I wanted to get her out of the car. You go this way, that way. And he looked at that as not being offensive, trying to hurt her, but just trying to resolve it, you know, take a break, walk away. So he interpreted it that way. And then again, hearing her say, yes, he did hit me, grab my face, but I hit him first. So I think these officers were looking at the merits of the whole thing. Then they called the boss and related the facts to the boss. Then he said, I got to reread the statute. And then I think he came upon the intent issue and then went back to Gabby and said, look, this is an important question. Going to ask you, what was your intent? Why? Why did you hit him? You know, so I, I really just think they put forth such a great effort. And then looking at it, they made a determination of the primary aggressor. Bill, I did hear that 911 call, not when we did our show, but I heard it sub subsequently. It was very general and benign. It was like slapping. There was no, oh, she was, you know, coiling in pain and I saw him punching her. Well, it was just slapping. Slapping where? Slapping her back, about you know, like it was too general. So without having more contact with that call, and I don't think it was the caller that they did get in touch with, and I don't know why they didn't get in touch with that guy. But without an injury, that's harassment. You can't make an arrest for it anyway. But this new video shows where she's like, he grabbed my face, and I think his nail kind of caused some kind of injury because he did say i see and this cop everyone's attacking him he was proactively oh how'd you get this oh look at your arm so he's trying to do what he's supposed to do and then she's hurting the case because she's like oh that was not from him i was climbing into the vein and there was a backpack and that's what caused that bruise so I really commend these guys for doing a great job. I thought it was a great job. When you arrest someone, you take their freedom away. That's a Fourth Amendment constitutional protection. You better have your facts together. This is not just, you know, lock someone up because when your case gets thrown out, because a DA is going to look at it and say, there's no way I'm going to get a conviction here, case dismissed. Who's the first person that they're going after? The cop. And when the cop says, well, typically domestic violence cases, okay, we know that. Tell me the facts of this case. Did she say he struck him? Yes. Did, did it cause an injury? Like, you know, it would have to be flushed out. What is your evidence that you made an arrest? 
aren't, isn't it a fact that you're supposed to do a primary aggressor analysis and you don't have to arrest both people? In domestic violence statute, that provision is in there. And did you do so? Yes. And I determined she was the primary aggressor. You know what I mean? Like, there's just so much here. I don't think it's, it's going to be, you know, a simple yes or no. This is why cops need to be paid more, educated more, trained more. And this defund the police is the most ridiculous thing. This is why we need top-notch people in there. And I did feel that the bearded officer was top-notch. I want that guy in my neighborhood. I want him doing that analysis. He knew the law and still went back and reread it to make sure he was doing the right thing. I you want know, I just want to, Joe, I just, I appreciate everything you just said. And a lot of people, of course, in the chat disagree with you. I want to ask Phil Grimaldi. Um, if, if there was an arrest made, would it have made any difference in what occurred on the 27th of August? Well, I got to say, Bill, it's obvious that we don't have crystal ball. The officer said that. Joe made some really good points about the interaction with the police. But I just want to lay this out there. I'm going to answer your question in a second, Bill, but I want to lay this out there. Forget that it's Gabby Petito. Not that I want to forget her, but just say it's a, a situation that officers roll up on and they're being told there's a 911 call that a woman was being hit by a male. And the woman is telling them, yeah, well, I hit him first. Now, what's the first reaction that you're going to have when someone hits you? You're going to, I think it's human nature. It's human reaction. You're going to either hit back or she says he grabbed my face maybe to make her stop assaulting him. Now, I'm not saying that that's what happened. I'm not saying that's what happened here. But as an officer who has no experience with either of these two people, he's never run in with them before. He hears that. So it almost sounds like he was kind of defending himself by her hitting him first. Now, I'm not saying that it's okay for a man to slap a woman in any way, shape, or form, but it's also not okay for a woman not to slap a man too. It, it goes both ways. So these offices, they, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't want to Monday morning quarterback them that we discussed already in the beginning of the show. I don't want to do that, but they look like they went the extra mile. Joe said they, they read that statute in the law. So it wasn't like these guys weren't up on it. They were very well, very well aware of what to do and how to handle it. But there was like a gray area here. Who hit who first? They were obviously mutual combatants. There was no serious physical injury. And then they went the extra mile of reading the statute. And then they went one step further. They separated them. Now, I think that that qualifies as enough. They did enough due diligence in their job with this situation, with this job, to say that I don't think they did anything wrong. Now, would it have changed everything? That was the question that started this rant, but I don't know. It's it's 15 days later that she was allegedly murdered around the 27th. So I talked with Bill off the air earlier, and I said I've had cases that an arrest either accelerated violence or decelerated. I've had it both ways. So we don't know what the outcome would have been if they would have either both been arrested, Gabby was arrested, or Brian was arrested. I don't think, in my heart of hearts, and I'll put like a lot into this, if one of them was arrested, I don't think the other one was going to go running back home to either Florida or New York or anything like that. So I think that if Brian was arrested, she would have waited around. If she was arrested, Brian would have waited around. If they both were arrested, they probably would have reunited when they were released the next day. So I don't know how much this could have prevented poor Gabby's murder. 
I'm just playing another short. Go ahead, Joe. Good. I I really just because there's mm, there's a couple things that really bother me. Domestic violence cases are not like any other cases where, you know, street encounter, push shove, you're both fighting mutual combatants, lock them both up. It's a little different with domestic violence. And you're supposed to do this primary aggressor analysis. So there is a success. It's hard enough to prosecute a domestic violence case. You lock them both up. This is the reality of what you just did. Brian has a lawyer. Gabby has a lawyer. Gabby's facing criminal charges. Brian's facing criminal charges. Let's say that the prosecutor decides we're going to prosecute Brian first. Put Gabby on the stand. What am I going to tell her? Take the fifth. You're being prosecuted next. Take the fifth. Don't don't answer anything. What's Brian's lawyer going to tell Brian when he gets on the stand prosecuting Gabby? And mind you, neither one wants to prosecute each other. So they will willingly do this. Brian will get on the stand and he'll take the fifth. Why? Because he has criminal liability. He's got pending charges. He does not have to answer any questions. Therefore, there will be no prosecution of either one of them. And they'll both be- But Joe, Joe, you know something from from the police point of view, the police sergeants say, when I would respond to a situation like this, I'm not thinking about the prosecution. I'm thinking about covering my ass. That's what I'm thinking about. Because if I walk away from this and it escalates and look what happened here uh, 13 days later, or excuse me, 15 days later, they're going to look back at Sergeant Cannon and say, wait a minute, maybe if you would have made that arrest, this wouldn't have happened. And again, Monday morning. Protection when you lock one up, the primary aggressor. You enjoy that same protection because now they can't have contact. He's in custody or she's in custody. And then there's a stay away order. And this is the the thing why I actually interrupt where we're saying that it wouldn't have changed anything. I disagree because if you did arrest somebody, not both, because if you arrest both, I've, I've seen this and done it at arraignment, the DA will dismiss it. They can't prosecute both. So they'll, you know, but Joe, but, but the, the, the argument, hold on, Bill, please. Go ahead. If Go ahead. one is arrested, what is the first thing the judge does at arraignment? Full order of protection. Away, order of protection. Yeah, but Joe, Joe let me interject for a second, Joe. How yeah. many times, and I've had this so many times, that order of protection, they're talking the next day, Joe. I mean, listen, I'm, I, I agree with you. It would have yeah. been an order of protection. And unless one of the people that is on the order, like if, if the order goes to Brian, he's got to now make a police report and call the police that she violated if she comes near him or vice versa. So, and, and it happens all the time, order of protection. We would have where the order of protection would be abused, where the girl would say, well, I called him on payday. I needed some money. But then when Sunday came, I threw him out and he gave me a hard time and I want him, I want him locked up for violation. But you spent Absolutely. the weekend with him when he had money in his pocket, when he was broke, you're, you're calling 911 on him. So, I mean, listen, anything's possible, but you know, those order protections, I just don't agree that that would have win 100% prevented this murder. I can't, I can't I'm go not saying 100%, but you know, when you're facing criminal charges already, I don't think either one of these people, I could be wrong. Uh, we're arrested before. They're very young and they're together. And, you know, 
But when you're facing criminal charges, especially for the first time, and the judge at arraignment threatens you and tells you, I'm releasing you, but you to have no contact whatsoever. You have any contact, I'm putting you in jail. I'm holding you, I'm revoking your bail or your release as a condition of release. I, you know, that's pretty intimidating. I mean, sure. I, yeah. that's what I do in my, my practice. It's let me just uh, let me just play this next. Uh... No, no, you can you can talk to her. She she seems like a really sweet girl, twenty two or something. Has a lot of anxiety, and from what she's claiming, she's the full on aggressor here. I, I'd love to go talk to the independent witnesses, and maybe that's what I'll go do. Yeah, there's a couple of waters. Here's this guy. You might need that for someone else. Uh, police, how are you? Hey, we got this band stopped and we're separated as a male and a female, and we got both of their stories. Um, now that we're not looking for them so intensely, I was wondering if you had a minute just kind of repeat to me what it is exactly you saw. No problem, sir. Yeah, so I was with my friend on the street uh, near the Forest Service building, and I just noticed that this couple uh, was sort of arguing a bit. And you know, I wasn't hearing them, but it did catch my attention. And what I noticed is it like they were sort of squabbling over a phone. I want to say that he was trying to grab her phone, and I'm not sure exactly why. And then it seemed like uh, he had sort of locked the one side of the van and sort of wasn't letting her in. And, and then the male was stepping into the driver's seat, and she was trying to get into the van. And said something about why you're being so mean, something like that. And um, I, I remember he sort of hit him um, a few times. And it wasn't like he lugged in the face, but just kind of like, like kind of like two kids kind of fighting. They, they reminded me of very secure, I don't know, children sort of fighting. Um, but there seemed like something was off. It seemed like a weird vibe. And um, yeah, eventually, it's like, you know, she crawled into the driver's seat, sort of 
Did you ever see the male strike the female? I um, I would say that I think I saw maybe a push or a shove, but not like a full on punch to the face or anything. Was like the shove like an off. was the shove or push an aggression towards her, or was it a defensive maneuver away from her, or to get her away from him? see her slapping him though it sounds like I mean, from what we heard, it still sounds like that the, the police, in my view, did a pretty good investigation. I think so, too. I think uh, Joe's out. Joe, your volume's off. Doing that. Because I, I was talking to Ange. Sorry, I keep doing that. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I think these are the extraordinary efforts. They called and got in touch with the witness, interviewed him, and he seems to corroborate their theory. He wasn't the aggressor. That it was her that was hitting him, and he was kind of being defensive about it. I, I agree with what they did. I do think, you know, as a Monday morning quarterback, knowing now what happened, that it may have impacted what happened later because of, of the order of protection. But I don't think at the time they did anything wrong. Including Listen, Joe, they, the boss. they called the boss. They read the statute. They interviewed her again. They interviewed this independent witness. They really took extra. Bill, you're the boss showing up on this thing, and you're hearing, are they still out on that job? I got 10 other jobs. They, right, you, you, you know saying? something? I, I thought about that, too, is that how long they of an investigation yes. they did on this job. And in New York City, it would be, like, impossible Never. Lay a, a radio call up that long on a on the case like this, and you'd be like, "What? What's going on here?" You know, and that, that they even they even brought in a female officer to talk to her. So I think they really went above and beyond. They went the extra mile with this case. At the end of the day, listen, we know what happened. Yeah. Had they arrested him, may have turned out differently. Of course, there's a possibility that Joe mentioned the part about the order of protection and the way the judge, you know, says stay away and all of that. Listen, that could have may have well prevented it. We don't know. We don't have crystal ball, but you can't knock these guys. I mean, my opinion changed a little bit when I heard it because we thought that they never got that information. 
They did get it. But then they called the complainant that called it in, the 911 caller. That's what you just played, Bill. They were interviewing the person. They asked him to go over the details. He clearly laid out the same story that she laid out that she hit him first and that he was maybe smacking her or pushing her or whatever it was. So again, I, I brought this scenario up before someone hits you, you tend to either grab them, try Now, if a woman hits me, that's half my size, I'm going to grab her and try and stop her from assaulting me. I may not knock her out, you know, knockout punch, but, and listen, I, <laughs> no, I, I may not because no, I'm talking about if I'm in uniform, I'm talking about if oh, I'm in uniform, sorry, yeah. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking because yeah, yeah. I've had women attack me when I was arresting their, their boyfriend, husband, whatever it was. And you know, there, there's no need for a knockout punch, but if somebody's yeah. about to kill you, then, you know, yeah, yeah. You do what you got to do. But my point is, is that, if it's a woman that's half my size, I would grab her and try and restrain her rather than. So maybe that's what they had in their minds with this thing. They had the female officer come there. They did all of these things. So I think uh, we have a clear picture of, you know, how it was handled. And uh, the, they did their due diligence, in my opinion. I just you know, wanna, I I, I, Go ahead, Joe. I just want to ask because I noticed there was a comment. And this is a common thing I saw in the comments and, and talking with others. Linda T at 543 writes, Will the panel please answer this question? Why was he not cited for speeding? Now, as we know, and it may be different in Utah, speeding is a violation. It's a violation that you have discretion to use. And I think just because we were all cops and have done this, I think these cops are thinking these people were having enough problems. There was no need to add to it by giving a summons and they have discretion whether or not to issue a summons. If in Utah, somebody in another comment said, you're 25 miles over the speed limit, that's an arrest. I don't know that to be true. Uh, I guess it could be like reckless endangerment if you are that excessively speeding. And they're kind of suggesting that they went out of their way to protect Brian. I really don't think that's the case. I think they were very unbiased. They looked at it. They they called witnesses. They talked to people. They really did a good job, in my opinion. But just to answer Linda T, because it is a common question, that was the initial thing the officer observed by following the car, that he was speeding and then actually recklessly going over the line and he then hit hitting the, the curve. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, one of the admonish in a situation like that, a police officer is allowed to use discretion and say, "I got you for speeding." However, I'm not going to give you the violation, slow down, or whatever it is. So, in this situation, you know, I think you heard the officer say to the female officer, "Yes, yeah, she's got a lot of anxiety." So they were looking at it as a possible psychological, emotional. You know, is this really like a criminal thing, or is it a you know, yeah. a, a mental disorder thing. So that, that, you know, that's one of the components of their decision-making too. Right. And I think that they were looking at it and say, look, they, they've had a rough day. We, they don't need another summons on top of this. Right. So. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I love cops do that, you know, and we all want cops to use their discretion in a circumstance where, you know, it's not necessary to pile on like that. Of course. For sure. Sandra Luciano, thank you so much for the 499 super chat. One of the things I also want to just point out is that police aren't expected to hold a, a courtroom trial out in the street. They're supposed to collect the facts 
And if there is probable cause and in a situation like this where it was more of a violation and not an assault misdemeanor, to use their discretion if necessary. And that's what what we're sort of applauding the police for doing here is for using their discretion. And I think many people in the chat and many people that are criti criticizing the officers think that the street is a courtroom. And, and it's not a courtroom, you know, and all of the protections you get in court are a little bit different out on the street. And I think, you know, we, we look, many people are going to disagree with us no matter what we say. But we've been there before. We've done this before. Uh, some people are claiming that if there was a female officer, uh, she would have felt different. There was a female officer yes. there on yes. the scene. So I don't think we can make this about sex. It's about applying the law correctly in a in a complicated situation that is not so easy to read. And because what happened 15 days later doesn't change the situation that they were presented with in real time. Absolutely, Bill. And you made a, a very good point about the length of time and, and you know, there's not a courtroom out in the street. In, you know, in, in, in an urban area like where, you know, the NYPD in, in this city, you're pretty close to the station house. They may have removed everybody to the station house and then settled it at the station house. I don't know if that would have really played out any differently, but because it's Moab, Utah, they're out in the middle of nowhere. God only knows how far the police station is, the station house from uh, where they were. But uh, you cannot fault them based on all of the actions that you saw take place on those body cameras. I mean, just like you said, Bill, just now, they, oh, they should have gotten a female police officer. They did. They did. And I think that she had a conversation with Gabby alone. And if there was something really that she was holding back, she may have, you know, uh, told her in confidence or whatever. It might have might have shed some light on it. And I think that now that we know when we're Monday morning quarterback, and even though we say we're not, we are because we know the we know the results of what happened. The Monday morning quarterback aspect of it is this: look at the history that. We now are uncovering from her friends how he was controlling. He he uh, took her ID away so she couldn't go to bars and stuff. And she kind of seemed submissive to him. She seemed very submissive in her actions when she spoke about him. Did he hit you? Yeah, but I hit him first. And, well, how did he hit you? Well, he just kind of grabbed my face. So she she probably was caught in a very volatile uh, you know, a, a bad relationship, so to speak. It was toxic and uh you know, but how far can you go to find out? I mean, you know, what are they going to do? Pull out a lie detector test and give it to her if she's telling the truth? I mean, they really, I, I got to say, they really went the extra mile. They absolutely you know, don't forget, did. police officers are the gatekeepers of the criminal justice system. And arresting somebody, regardless if they're found guilty or not, has consequences you ever apply for a police job or security clearance at other, you know, military, if you're a military officer, you know, when you're, when you're charged by the military, it's not, a, it's a different standard with misconduct. And also like, I'll just give an example, applying for a pistol permit. If you apply for a pistol permit, let's just say Gabby was arrested and applied for a permit. The fact that her case ended up getting dismissed means nothing. They look at the underlying conduct and then the fact that it's a domestic situation that she was arrested in and it's a violent situation. She could be denied a permit because of the underlying conduct, not because there was no conviction. And what the courts have said is in a criminal case, it's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. 
But when you're applying for a pistol license, they don't need to satisfy proof beyond a reasonable doubt. If they believe there's credible evidence that you committed some violent act, they'll disqualify you. So there's so many consequences that comes with arresting people. You better have your ducks in a row. And I, I said it before, but who's the first person they're going to sue? And you can't say, I mean, think about it. I'm a defense attorney. When I have him on the stand, I question him. Did she tell you that he assaulted him? No. Did she say whether she assaulted him? Yes. And why didn't you believe her? Is she a liar? Did you determine somehow she's a liar? You know, like there's so many ways that this cop is just going to be crushed going forward with that. I think it's they did a fair job. If they did make an arrest, I wouldn't object either. It was just right. such a close call that, you know, I, I agree. people in the chat are just so sure. Oh, these cops are biased. These cops. No, it's not fair. I'll call it like I see it, just like I think I disagree. I think if there was an arrest, that order protection is very powerful. And domestic violence cases, they don't push them out two months. They'll be like a two or three weeks date, you know, where you're back into court and talking to the. I don't think they would have ventured too far. I think they would have rethought their process. How are we going to deal with this? We got to get you a lawyer. Go see, you know, I think it would have changed the course. Now, would it have? prevented the homicide? I don't know. But I think it would have been more likely to prevent the homicide. But there is no way that you would have known that during this car stop where they were doing this investigation. There's no way. It's just by happenstance that we now know that and we're looking back Monday morning quarterbacking. Right. But I do believe they did an extraordinary job. These are well-trained, educated officers that I would want in my neighborhood and it could have went either way. Like that officer said, look, I'll back you either way. I agree with him. If they yeah. would have made an arrest, I would have said, okay. If they chose not to, I would have said, okay, I see it. Both sides. Right. You know, uh, Phil, I just want you to do a quick uh, read of Joe, uh, Joe, the lawyer. <laughs> we have Joe, the lawyer here today, back and better than ever. Thank God you're feeling better, Joe. Joe Murray, attorney at law, have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702, 646-838-1702. 02, or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com. Folks, I just wanted to segue also into uh, this week, the FBI went back to Brian Laundrie's house to protect, uh, to collect certain types of evidence. Uh, the news put it out there that they were collecting evidence that they could compare against DNA to verify that his DNA is in certain locations. What is your take on that, Joe? You know, I still think we have a missing person case here. And, you know, maybe there's some other reason they're trying to get like a fresh scent on him for dogs or, or like you said, DNA. I think because it is a missing person on top of the warrant looking for him, 
they're using whatever means are available to them. Now, I don't I didn't hear that there was a warrant. So it sounds like they were voluntarily allowed to go in there and take this this uh, material, which which I believe was like recent clothes he had or something like that. I think it's the missing person aspect. I'm not so sure that was a scam or a sham that everyone says it is. You're talking about a young kid who's, you know, very privileged and now facing all of this backlash. He's under tremendous stress. Maybe he just decided I got to get off the grid and unplug and disappear and went in over his head, thought too much of his skills and really didn't have those skills. I do believe he's a missing person. So, but you can't ignore it, whether you believe it or not, you can't ignore it. And if the family's going to give you something to help you in your search, take it. You know what, Joe? I, I agree with what you're saying. And I'm thinking about it now. Just when you said it, uh, he, they reported him missing. So if I want clothing, whether I'm going to use it for the search to arrest him or the search to find him, I call him up and say, uh, we'd like to get some of his clothing for the, for the searches that we're conducting in the Carlton Reserve or wherever it is that they're searching. And now, maybe they consult with a lawyer. Yeah, well, you reported a missing. You should cooperate with that, and you should give that. And they may even say to her, give it to us, or you know, we'll go out and get a search warrant. So right there, that that's uh, probably how they got it. If there was no warrant issued for those that bag of – they did walk out with a bag of clothing. They also took pictures of the camper that was on the driveway. Uh, I don't know. They examined it. They took pictures of it. I think they want to see if it was in certain locations because I know that it was – picked up in a, um, an area, uh, up in, uh, the DeSoto park, Fort DeSoto park. That's where they allegedly went camping, uh, around the 11th of, uh, September when Gabby was first reported missing, they went, uh, Brian, his mom and his dad went camping in that camper and they have video of them going into the, the location and only two of them leave, uh, leaving. That's why they thought that there was, uh, a search should be conducted. That's where Dog the Bounty Hunter wound up. And they did actually conduct some searches. I think they're still conducting searches in that area. So, you know, there's a lot to say. I would think that if it's something related to the criminal aspect, they probably would have got the warrant either way. You know what I mean? Just to, just to play it mm -hmm. safe. That's what I would have done. If I'm going to use a piece of his clothing to find him, I probably would have got the warrant. I don't know. You know, maybe they did. We may not know about it. It may not even been... Uh, you know, uh, uh, released to the, to the media, but, uh, yeah, I, I could see what you're saying, Joe, that them saying the police calling him saying, well, you know, you reported your son missing, right? Is he still missing? Yeah. Okay. We want clothing that we want to use for the uh, search dogs. Very simple. And it's you know, I just like that they willingly, you know, participated. They want their son back. I, I believe that. Eh, not me, but uh, okay. I, you know, something look, I, I, I believe that he's a fugitive. I believe yeah. he killed her. I believe there's tons of circumstantial evidence. And I believe when they capture him, he's going to be indicted for murder. And I believe all of that. The missing person thing, I, I think, is ridiculous. Let and me just, and I, uh, believe a, I, I believe that he's a, that the parents are aiding him. I really believe that. They've aided him from the minute he came back from Florida. Avery counties both confirmed to WSOC TV that they had received more than half a dozen tips earlier this week about Gabby Petito's 23 year old fugitive boyfriend. It has also been a focus for the private search team led by Duane Dog, the bounty hunter Chapman, whose daughter Lissa Chapman tweeted a plea for experienced hiking servivalist near the Appalachian Hiking Trail in North Carolina. If you have hunters in your family, near the Ad in North Carolina.
tell them to check your game cameras, she tweeted Sunday, also asking locals to widely spread Laundry's image. The Appalachians is understood to be an area familiar to Laundry, who was previously reported to have once lived there by himself for months. While it was not clear how many of the official tips claimed to be actual sightings, Watauga County deputies pulled over a car to investigate a possible lead that led to nothing. The local outlet said that Watauga officers also have a detective monitoring a mass of online posts claiming that people are seeing Brian Laundry in Boone, North Carolina, officials told the Watauga Democrat. We have been monitoring social media for alleged sightings or information of Brian Laundry being in this area, Watauga County Sheriff Len Hageman confirmed to the local paper. But nothing has been verified, he insisted. Some of the info has been based on rumors that Laundry, who went missing more than two weeks ago, days before Petito's body was found, may be familiar with the Appalachian Trail, the sheriff said. Some of it has been strong enough to pass along to other local, state and federal law enforcement officers, the sheriff said. We actually had a conversation with the FBI this morning, Hageman told WSOC on Wednesday. If there's something legitimate, we'll check it out. And if there's something more to it, then the FBI will be contacted, but not on every call, he said. Laundry had returned from a cross-country trip with Petito, 22, on September 1st, without her. Petito was officially reported missing September 11 and later found dead in Wyoming. Laundry remains the sole person of interest in the case. He went missing on September 14, according to his parents who only reported it to police three days later. There is an active warrant for his arrest on fraud charges for using someone's bank card around the time Petito disappeared. Well, it wasn't someone's bank card. It was Gabby Petito's bank card that uh, he was using. And look, I I just feel, look, I've said it a million times and, you know, maybe it's going to sound ad nauseum, but I said, when it walks like a duck, when it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in the strength of circumstantial evidence. And I think that there's tons of circumstantial evidence against Brian Laundrie. And I believe when they find him, he will be arrested and he will be charged with this murder. I, I agree with you, Bill. And I'll tell you right now, I've been calling the parents out from day one on this thing. Uh, their behavior with Gabby's family when they were reached out to, when the, they weren't getting responses from Horror Brian, they ignored them. And uh, we have a video. There's a video. The FBI has a video of Brian and his parents buying an AT&T cell phone on September the 4th. That phone is now in the possession of the FBI. And one of the FBI investigators, a talking head that I saw on the news, said that they believe it was a red herring to throw the police off that he doesn't have a cell phone because that cell phone was left at the house when they reported uh, Brian missing. They said his wallet and his cell phone is here. The cell phone had just been purchased. But I don't know if the parents are this cunning and experienced in what they're doing to try and help their son. But the day that they were in that video store, they had cell phones on them more than likely. And those cell phones can be tracked. And the cell phones can also be tracked, their movements going all the way back to when he first got back to uh, Florida. So I, I would hope that they're not putting himself in the trick bag for criminal charges such as tampering with evidence or obstructing justice. But, I mean, their, their failure to communicate with law enforcement with regard to anything. They've shut down and they've never shown any remorse 
or any, uh, you know, uh, sympathy towards Gabby Petito's family. That's disgusting. It's terrible. There was a protester arrested yesterday. There's been protests going on outside their home from when this thing first started back in early September. And a protester went on some one of the neighbor's lawn and the neighbor went over and accosted the guy, pushed him, hit him. He was arrested. Now, the point I'm trying to make is this. These people are not going to be able to live in that neighborhood. Everybody's going to have disdain and dislike for them. They need to get together with Brian, bring him in, and deal with the problem. Now, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I had a, a conversation earlier with Sammy DeBull Gravano, who was on our show recently, and he said just that, if it was my kid, because he called to, to, to comment on his case. He said, if it were my kid, I would tell my kid, look, we got to get a lawyer. We got to go in and we got to try and make some kind of amends to this family and show sympathy. Now, I think that that's coming from someone who was in a, a life of crime just about all of his life. And he even had that opinion. Now, he could be just telling a story, but I, I believe what he's saying to be true. And I had the same experience. I get trying to protect my children. I don't want my children in harm's way, of course. But when you have a situation like this where they're on film, videos, all of this stuff, there's a tremendous international media retention. It's not going away, dirty laundries. It's not going away. So the best thing to do is show some type of sympathy for the family. Bring your son in. You're going to get to visit your son if he goes to jail. He may or may not go to jail, but if he goes to jail, you'll be able to visit him. The Petitos only have a gravestone to visit. Okay. So just think about that. Put yourself in their position, that family and get with the program and you're going to be criminally held. If they can prove all of the things that I talk about, I'm sure the FBI, FBI is taking a deep dive into all of this, the stuff that I mentioned. Joe, I thought you would be dying to comment on this. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I disagree that they should be talking to any federal officers. I fear the federal government. The federal government is just so powerful. And looking at what's been happening at the highest levels, I never in a million years, if you would have told me that a lawyer from the Justice Department would forge a document and give it to a judge to get a warrant, I would say, you're out of your mind. They would never do that. And so and it happened. It, and it yeah. went to prison. The federal government is treacherous treacherous and i fear them as a lawyer i don't even want to talk Joe, to i'm not saying that they should throw themselves on a sword and, and you know go right to the no i think what they should do is produce the son with the attorney and then just proceed you know you wanted him for the credit card for it here he is and and uh, i'm not saying that they should go and you know have a conversation with the fbi that's not what i was getting at start to show you know, cooperation, you know, they know where he is. They know exactly where he is. They helped him to get where he is. That's my opinion. And I'll stay with that until we know, you know, so, until we know otherwise. So my point is they not once, not once did they offer sympathy to the family. That's terrible. The girl was living in their house for two years. Come on. I mean, that alone, that alone is, is, it says a lot about them. That's why, you know, you got people like John Walsh and me calling them the dirty laundries. I mean, it's disgusting what they're doing. Give your son, he has an attorney, let him have his day in court, support him. I get it. Believe me, you know, it, it's, it's your child. I get it. But having him out in the wilderness somewhere, suppose he gets attacked by a bear or a snake or whatever it is, then you're going to be in the same position going to a gravestone. Think about Ca it. Carrie Johnson, thank you so much for your $5 super chat. 
She says, now the laundry's attorney disclosed the sister has seen Brian twice. She was at Fort DeSoto also. Cassie said she misunderstood the reporter. I don't know if that's vetted or not. I don't know. Uh, Cassie, I'm not, Carrie, I'm not uh, disputing whether you know this or not, but I haven't uh, read that anywhere or seen it. From I, I did see some stories on the internet. I didn't even bring it up because like you said, it's not vetted yet. I did see something about the sister and I, I, I was focused on the things that we know, like the protest in front of the house, the re recovery of whatever they took from the house yesterday, the FBI, the pictures of the van, you know, dog, the bounty, all that he's doing, but there is something going around the internet that the sister made some uh, uh, statements that might incriminate herself or whatever, but we'll look into it and we'll uh, we'll know for sure. We'll vet it. So you know, you know one of the three with the uh, the use of the dirty laundries. We're professionals, John. It, it, what's his name? Uh, Walsh. He's a moron. That guy is an arrogant, cop-hating, self-aggrandizing. Oh, I caught fourteen hundred people. No, you didn't, John. There was a lot of people involved in that. So I, I just don't like the guy just for a lot of reasons. We're better than that. I don't think we should stoop to that level, calling them the dirty laundries or attacking them like that. And I don't like what's happening at the House. I believe in law and order. I believe in the criminal justice system. I agree with you 100%. If I was their lawyer, like I did on my website, you'll see in the testimonial page, the rapper that I had who was charged with a B violent felony robbery with a gun. The first thing I did was call the 120 and arrange. Well, I called a friend of mine in the squad to make sure we could do this, you know, together, schedule it. Well, I'm walking him in. I brought him in. And like I said to you, the awesome responsibility and how, first of all, how flattered I was that he's putting his trust in me, that that could have been the last day that he was a free man, you know, for, for 25 years. And, uh, you know, but that's the right thing to do. And I would have done that. I would have done a lot of different, different things that, but I didn't know what he knows. And I, I, I don't want to really second guess him, but I agree with you. It all starts with going in, especially now that they put this bogus credit card thing in there. Get your evidence. Get your interviews. Start talking to the witnesses. Use the process because I do think a, a murder charge or some other, you know, homicide charge is coming. And this is a perfect opportunity to get early discovery, you know, force them to go to trial. Waive it. I want to go right to trial. No motions necessary, Judge. They got to give you a trial in 30 days. What does that mean? Call all those witnesses in who are doing this investigation. I think it was the dumbest thing the government has ever done in my eyes. And I also went through those documents. The way, the way they're handling this, it's just so sloppy. Joe, that was just that was just that was just uh, a tactic to get him into custody. That's what I think. I I know you're saying I get your point. You're saying that you wouldn't, you know, you, you don't like the idea of how they did it. But being being, if I was the case detective on the case, I would have went right along with that. And regarding calling them the dirty laundries, I know you got your opinion opinion about John Walsh. Um, you know, he's got we're a lot of media attention. He's a moron. no, but. I'm, I'm sorry. I have to say, I don't, I wouldn't throw around that kind of disparaging remark about anyone just so easily, but I just feel like they had, they had a obligation 
a human obligation. The girl lived in the house for two years to answer those parents and say, we don't know where your daughter is. She never came back with Brian and they didn't do that. That's the only thing that I think that they were obligated to at that point. And now since this is going on, they're making themselves look worse and worse. And I, I, I still stick with that. I, I don't have any apologies for that. I'm not going to withdraw on calling them that. And uh, listen, it is what it is. Folks, uh, if you <laughs> haven't subscribed to Police Off The Cuff, please do so. Go on our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up. We also have a Patreon that you can uh, purchase. You can become a member of Police Off The Cuff. We also have a membership now with four different tiers. And, you know, we could use your support. We just crossed 20,000 subscribers, and we're, uh, we're sort of new to the game as far as YouTube. We've been around maybe seven, eight months, but we're trying to build our audience. And if you like real crime stories from a police perspective with some of these great uh, guests like Joe Murray here, who is also the dissenter, you know, he's not always... He's not on the same page as us, but that's fine because I don't want everyone to agree with us, you know, and we see the other side of the story. And we appreciate all you guys in the chat, too. As long as you keep it respectful, uh, you know, we, we like to hear what you're going to say because, as you can see, I bring it up all the time. And, uh, you know, it, it's important to have a, a, a different point of view. Guys, we're actually at six – we're at an hour and 16 minutes, so – as I usually do near the end of the show, I give everyone their last words. And uh, I'll first go to you, Phil. Go ahead. You got last words? Last words. Uh, you know, this case is really tugging at the heartstrings of everyone. I told people earlier today when we did our promo at 2 o'clock to try and catch Duty Run show that Bill was on with the Bethunes that they actually had video of the van and that led them, led the police law enforcement to the discovery of Gabby's body. He became emotional in that. We're human beings, just like everybody else. Uh, we put on a thick skin when we go through the police academy and all of that. But uh, at the end of the day, it's tugging at the, the heartstrings of this case. Maybe uh, maybe I shouldn't have referred to them as, as the dirty laundries, but I'm going to stick with that. And, you know, sometimes the emotion takes over a little bit. Um, Joe agreed with, uh, with me, I know, and, and Bill as well, with regard to the Murdoch case, that uh, he's probably between the two of them, him and that guy Curtis, they're they're probably both full of baloney. Anyway, that we'll t we'll discuss that on a future episode, and uh, you know, we're just hoping and praying that you know, listen, that neighborhood, that family doesn't have to go through this. The pr the protest, the rallies in front of the laundry house. If this kid turns himself in, all of that'll die down, and then the, the the criminal justice system will take over. The wheels will turn, and uh, let's just hope and pray for uh, justice for Gabby Petito and her family. Joe, final words. Yeah, thank you so much, Bill. You know, I love the show, and and I want to thank all the people, not just in the 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 live chat, but the comments section and even duty runs. Like I spent hours like going back and forth with people. I learned so much from this community as a trial lawyer. I love to hear people's opinions and what things they are focusing on because in, especially in this case, in this scenario, this domestic violence, I disagree a hundred percent. So if I was trying that case, I'm throwing in the evidence that I think is good, but you're going to ignore it. So this is so valuable to me. Don't worry about that. We don't agree. I love to hear this. 
I'd love to hear your opinions because you're looking at the same facts, the same video, the same scenario. And me as a former cop and lawyer, I have my opinion as to what are the important things. And you, as whoever you are, the general public, you have your opinion. But you know who's more important? You, because you're going to be the jurors who are going to decide this case. So I'm, listen, I'm humbled by what I'm seeing and hearing. Nobody's wrong here. There's no wrong answers. It's all valuable to me. And Bill, if you don't mind, I just want to give a shout out to somebody. I saw uh, Ms. Atkinson, a new subscriber from England. It made me think of someone named Andy the Gabby Cabby. He's got a little channel, a couple hundred people. <laughs> when I was in the hospital with this COVID and suffering and, and one of our uh, supporters contacted him, wrote him a letter and asked him to give me a shout out. It was just so nice. And I really appreciate it. So I sent a few people there. I'm like my family. I said, please go to his, his uh, channel, hit him a couple of thumbs up and subscribe. Just, I love what he did. It was so nice. And I don't even know the guy. And it was just, it, it means so much. And I got so much support from this community. I love this community. And like I said, keep the comments coming. Don't worry if we don't agree. I love to hear what you're saying because it, it refocuses me as a trial lawyer, what our jurors looking at. So thank you. And thank you, Bill. And, and Phil, it's always a pleasure. Mm. It's great. It's great having you guys on the show. You know, someone in the chat and I, sometimes I get a kick out of things in the chat because look, I try to be respectful, but sometimes if I don't like someone, I, I say it, I do say it. And she listed three people. She goes, you know, you shouldn't say something about a and B and C. And what are you going to do tomorrow? I go, it depends who I don't like tomorrow. <laughs> That'll be D. But I'm not going to hold it back because you don't like it. You know, if I think someone's unethical, I'm going to say it. If I think someone's a clown, I'm going to say it. If I think someone is doing something wrong, I'm going to say it. And if you don't like it, you know, well, I'm not for everyone. I used to say that to my detectives. You know, if you don't like me, you know, the you can put in a transfer, you know. Bill's put an acquired in. taste. Yeah, I'm an acquired taste. Oh, you can ask you can ask the boss to transfer me. You know, that's probably easier. But uh, that never happened. So, guys, you know, thank you guys all so much uh, for, for listening to us. Uh, I hope that we sometimes impart some good knowledge on this stuff. At least we, you know, we try to play devil's advocate a little bit and critique it from a, you know, educated point of view. And you can either agree with us or disagree with us. This is America, and that's what we're allowed to do, you know. So for all you police off-the-cuff fans, some of you guys don't like to be called fans. You'd rather be called subscribers. I'll call you whatever you want, fan, subscriber. I like the word fan. I like the word, yes, subscribe, exactly. But I like the, the word fan, too. So for all you guys listening tonight and for all you people out there, and for Phil Grimaldi and uh, Joe Murray, thank you very much and have a great night. Stay safe, everyone.